Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host and my captain, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? My captain too. Derzo! Uh, Sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't shout into the microphone <laughs> like that. Myself and Andrew are running across a clearing to hug I, each I other. I can it's... see that I peaked like quite a bit. <laughs> Let me try that again. Derzo! <laughs> better, captain! Better. Um, Don't worry, Andrew, we're over 30. We've all peaked. Darren! <laughs> um, as, as listeners may have guessed, we are talking about Akira Kurosawa's 1975 hot new entry on the 250. That is right. Der- Yep, it's a very Uzala. it's a very special episode. We're, we're um, it's um, it's New Year, or 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 or, or not. We're going to do alts. <laughs> um, so it, it, it it's a, a very um, uh, a special week. We're we're as we always do around this time. <laughs> we 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 have um, we have some people back discuss some things it's been a good week um for um for kane tanaka the the world's oldest woman at 119 years of age of course we have to record an alt so it's like it's a sad week for the family of <laughs> uh, kane tanaka <laughs> and um we at the 250 kind of um, um okay express our <laughs> okay <sympathy>. but speaking <laughs> of things that are old in japanese this week we're talking about Dorsu um, Uzala and uh, joining us. Perfect segue. This is why you are my captain. We have Ireland and the world's expert on the films of Akira Kurosawa, Professor Chris Akira Kurosawa Lavery. Um, heavy sigh. The uh, 250 chair. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, if, if there's any mention of Kurosawa in Ireland, on the internet, I get pinged and uh, I get to tell them why they're incorrect. Uh, thank you for having me. It's very good to be here. It's it's our pleasure. I mean, listeners won't be aware of a conversation that myself and Chris had offline, I think, last year, where I was like, look, Chris, thank you for being our Kurosawa <laughs> expert. And, and Chris was like, Darren, I really wish you would stop doing that. It, it's kind of very <laughs> tiring five years on the podcast for you to just introduce <laughs> me, me every time as the Kurosawa expert. I'm so much more. I'm also an expert in Soviet cinema. If only there were a film that could tie these two things together. And I was like, Chris, you genius. We already have a Soviet cinema expert. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Niall Glenn. How are you, Niall? Returning last week from talking about Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. It is the wonderful Niall Glenn. How are you, Niall? I'm good. I feel a bit like a Dersu himself. I feel like I've been dragged out of my bad movie jungle into the modern age where there's actually good stuff to watch. This is very disconcerting. And, and, an interesting conversation we kind of had in the in the waiting room while we were waiting for everybody to kind of get together to kind of launch this discussion of the podcast was how we all watch this. Um, and actually, I think this is kind of an interesting kind of way to jump into this conversation because I believe, like, you know, obviously our Soviet cinema and Kurosawa expert is intimately familiar with this text, but Niall... I think you mentioned that you you watched this via like YouTube, I think. Yeah, I'd actually watched this one last year or a year depending on when <laughs> this is going out, I suppose. <laughs> Banking those episodes. Uh, yeah. I said new year 2023, right? Uh, <laughs> or old yeah. year, who knows. 
So we're living on the moon temporal, now, right? Temporal pincer movement to get this one out. <laughs> I think yeah, you mean a temporal pincer movement. Thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> to say it with the accent. Another expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I watched this to try and like fill in the gaps of like Kurosawa films I'd missed out on. Because although this like this one best foreign picture that the year it came out, it's not one a lot of people seem to really know about or have seen. Maybe that's just my experience, but that's what I find really interesting is it suddenly coming into the top 250. I'm not, I'm not an expert on the IMDb to top 250, so I don't know. Did this come out of nowhere, or has this been moving its way up? Um, the situation... I'll give that to you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I am just a student of Andrew uh, when it comes to talking about like, the 250 and the statistics involved. But yeah, uh, Dirty Uzzala is, is an interesting kind of movie in, in that respect. And I mean, we'll, we'll get back to kind of your experience of watching it in a moment, Niall, but just to, to provide some context, this is a film that exists in a transitional period in terms of Kurosawa's uh, filmography. This is a movie that kind of sits situated between, obviously, the classics of the 50s and 60s cinemas that we've kind of discussed with Chris. We're talking about movies like Ojimbo. We're talking about Sanjuro. We're talking about, you know, all those kind of like classics that we associate with, you know, mid-century Japanese cinema that come from Kurosawa and other directors. And obviously then his kind of later work into the 80s, movies like Keijimashu or um, Ran, which myself and Andrew kind of covered on the podcast very early on ourselves uh, as idiots. I don't think it counts. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) we're going to have to re-record that with our expert unfortunately um but but yeah so like this is situated kind of roughly in the middle of those two um this is several years after he had been famously fired from the production of torah 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 he was fired i believe on christmas eve 1968 from the movie torah 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 having been hired to direct the japanese sections of those movies we'll maybe talk a bit about that later on he had then bounced from that to trying to make um for to prove his own sanity and to prove that he was commercially viable, he had then tried to direct his own relatively low-budget film, relatively tightly paced and tightly constructed, very controlled film, that is Dodes Kaden, uh, which he filmed for uh, on a budget of $1 million and a shooting schedule of only 28 days. It was Kurosawa's first film in colour, uh, notably as well. It was also the first Kurosawa film ever to lose money. Um, apparently prompted at least by his own account, in part by these two failures, uh, Kurosawa made an attempt to take his own life uh, in December, I believe, 1972. Um, And we talked about that a little bit on the the RAN episode as well. Um, Oh, sorry, it's 1971. Apologies for that. Um, After that, he's diagnosed he's diagnosed with medical conditions including gallstones um i've seen some indication that at that time there was also some indication that his his eyesight was failing as well which again we talk about when we get to his later movies where a lot of people have argued that kurosawa's use of color in kajimoshu and in ran and also in dreams is in part down to the fact that he was losing his eyesight and needed it to be more vivid so he could direct more competently and more clearly while this is happening, Kurosawa has basically burnt a lot of his bridges in Japanese cinema. His films are unfinanceable. And around this time, um, the Soviet company Mosfilm, which is the state-owned film company in Russia, um, the Secretary General Sergei Gerasimov had met him in February 1971, had invited him to Russia, taken him to the Moscow Film Festival in July. Um, he'd, they'd given Doz Kaden um, a special jury prize there as well. And following his suicide attempt, uh, they reach out again and they say, look, we would like to make a movie with you. If you were having difficulty getting a movie financed in Japan, come to Russia and we will put 
everything that we have at your disposal. You will work without any commercial limitations, the virtues of communism, uh, but you'll also work without any creative limitations as well. Whatever you want to do, you're going to do it. And we will talk... Maybe have our, our entire nuclear arsenal <laughs> at your disposal. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about how, like... One of, do you want to go to space? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tom Cruise is going to want to do this in about 60 years, but you can beat him to the punch with this. Um but yeah, we'll, we'll talk maybe a little bit about like how one of the most remarkable things about this production is that Kurosawa somehow manages to take that blank check and open invitation from the Soviet government and manage to drive them completely around the bend to the point where the production of this movie becomes a nightmare for everybody involved. But that is kind of the backstory for, for what this movie is. And Niall is entirely right. This is a movie that exists somewhat under the radar um obviously as he mentioned it won the best foreign film oscar in 1975 or 1976 the year after it was released um notably kurosawa's previous film one of his previous films roshaman had picked up the equivalent of the foreign film oscar the honorary oscar that was occasionally awarded to foreign films without any nomination pool and without any oversight this was the first movie to win a competitive uh, foreign film oscar for kurosawa but it was also somewhat underappreciated both at the time and in context. So uh, critics like, say, Joan Melanin and, and Donald Ritchie um, argued that this film was underwhelming compared to Kurosawa's earlier film. Critics in Japan uh, were somewhat disappointed by it. It's also been suggested that the Japanese government in some way felt somewhat slighted uh, by the decision, by the fact that Kurosawa had to go to Russia to get this financed. And that may have contributed to the fact that Kurosawa would never manage to finance a film independently in Japan again. He would have to rely on American auteurs like, say, Spielberg, like Lucas, like Scorsese, to help him fund his later projects, even when he was shooting them in Japan. It's also been suggested that that's... some ill will... Sorry, Darren, that... That, that's a kind of a strange comment. The thing about kind of fe fe feeling underwhelmed, like like, dude, is that in the context of, like, how did they feel about Akira, for example? Like, like, it, are, is 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 this people, are these people who kind of expect a certain thing from a Kurosawa movie and and then get something quite different, or, or what do you think it is? Well, I guess. Kurosawa, sorry, well, Kurosawa himself has gone on record and he said that, and again, this is one of those like Kurosawa burning bridges in the later stages of his career. Uh, but he's gone on record, like when he was being interviewed doing press for uh, Dursu Uzala, uh, he was saying that like he didn't think that he could get a movie like Ikaru made in 1975 in Japan. Um, right. And like, here's the thing, like, here's an actual quote from him where he says, I could never say all I want about contemporary Japan in a film today. If I were to submit a project like Akiru, the education ministry, which gave Akiru an award in 1952, would kill it today. They don't believe in the art form anymore. So perhaps that is kind of it for a director who's like breakout projects internationally have become the samurai films and things like that. Perhaps there was a sense that he'd kind of lost it. I mean, even international praise from like long term fans of Kurosawa was somewhat mild. The New York Times, for example, described the movie as dull and repetitive. Um, Richard Schickel, writing in the Los Angeles Times, described it as a film with nothing to say. Um, so I think it is fair to say that the reaction to the film at the time, despite winning the Best Foreign Film Oscar, was somewhat muted. Um, and particularly when you compare it to the reaction to his films in the 80s, like, say, Ran, Kajimoshu, that we talked about. But it's also 
there has been something of a kind of a rediscovery of it. And again, I kind of want to talk to, to I want to get back to Niall. Sorry, I've, I've kind of hijacked the conversation here. But it is notable. <laughs> you never do that. I never do Never about? engage in an excessively detailed and completely pointless monologue that provides unnecessary levels of context for people think that Darren is reading from like lo- a, a, a long series of notes this is just Darren extemporizing um, don't d- ask Darren about anything <laughs> the history of sorry. peanuts yeah. no, well I mean I, I mean I am reading from from Chris's latest book uh, I'm sorry I shouldn't do that I, I shouldn't do that on the podcast in bad form so we're gonna wait to the end of the podcast for me to you know surprise and, but uh, yeah <laughs> Um, the Durst yeah, will have finally gotten to the bit where, where like he's finally talking about George Washington Carver <laughs> and like all of his uses of the penis. Um, but uh, it does seem like there it's the best bit. <laughs> it does seem like there has been a recent reappraisal of this. This is a movie that did recently come into the list. It only recently crossed the threshold of the twenty five thousand votes needed to qualify. That is why it suddenly came in. It kind of broke into the list. Um, I think in October twenty twenty one. Uh, we did take a while getting this together. I believe Chris was doing a book tour at the time. You know, during COVID, I thought that was like, unsafe and unrecommended, but I didn't feel like it was appropriate to mention that to him. Um, uh, uh, I mean... Yeah. Oh, 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 no. <laughs> Don't break kayfabe. <laughs> Chris, this is, this is at some point in the future, and you are an expert. Uh, I am, I am. I am both an expert and also... You know, a cipher for the audience not knowing anything. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a be- delicate balance, but I feel like I'm not. <laughs> You're playing a role, yeah. <laughs> Niall, but, uh... you mentioned that this was like one of filling in your gaps in terms of Curacao. And I think looking at your letterbox, I think you watched it maybe for his, his birthday or his centenary or some sort of celebration around that. Um, what was it that drew you to this title in particular? What was it that was like, of all the Curacaoas I haven't seen, this is the one I want to seek out? I think... Um... Because I didn't know much about this one at all, but I was reading an article on him and I saw that this was obviously filmed way outside of his native Japan. And that, I think at the time I had no idea he'd ever made any films not in Japan. So that was something that really, you know, pushed me to find this one. And what I found was, you know, what it's quite weird now. It doesn't seem like it's had a kind of worldwide blu-ray release like a lot of these like classic films have now and it was the other day i was getting annoyed because i realized i couldn't get ikiru either for whatever reason outside it's because the japanese education ministry just you know they won't have it it, it's funny what you gave it um, an award and then he says that about us (laughs) but um like the critics saying they're underwhelmed it's interesting because reading through um i read um kurosawa's semi-autobiography which he named, I think, something like an autobiography. And he talks about his the reception of his quote-unquote more popular films in Japan. And they were, by critics, like even his most famous ones like Rashomon and Yojimbo, were quite disliked for being too American. So it's quite funny then years later to say like, oh, he's let us down. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, what do you want from the poor man? But uh, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent there. We, we never do that on this show. That's completely no, uncalled no. for. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I need to take to reject credit. I didn't watch it for any kind of birthday. I think it was a complete ah, okay. coincidence. Right. I leave that to the experts, right. like Chris. Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, did that. Yep. Right. Ooh, yeah. we're, we're releasing this on <laughs> we are not. birthday okay, all right. on a Saturday. <laughs> <All right. laughs> we had to wait a few years to the fell okay, on a Saturday. Okay, all right. <laughs> 
this is the yes and school of podcasting apparently. Um, but so so chris what was your reaction to to, to serious salad like how would you like in terms of the movies that we've covered you know i mean let's not let's not drown the audience in context let's not like take audience and listeners too far outside their comfort zone of the movies that you've talked about on this podcast that listeners will be familiar with how would you kind of place this what was it like watching it what was your reaction to it i i i mean yeah like now said it seemed it seemed very different to all the curse i was familiar with um watching it you know it, it was you know it's, it's a almost a fully russian production so it wouldn't even you know you know, initiated wouldn't maybe not even know it was Kurosawa involved at all. But um, so yeah, I think it kind of gave it a different flavor, a different scope, and you know, different from his previous work. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. It's good. Um, yeah. And and Andrew, listeners will be aware. Andrew has come to the podcast fresh from watching Dursu Zala. Um, the hottest takes. Listeners know that? Um, they do now. <laughs> Were they, they're on my letterbox? Some <laughs> would say too fresh. Uh, but Andrew, what was your initial... 100% fresh. What was your initial reaction to watching Dursu Azala? What's your, what's your kind of like big, quick kind of takeaway on it? Um, I I um, loved it. I thought it was fantastic. The, 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 it, it kind of... Um, it did for me what I want kind of every movie to do pretty much. And and, and, and like, as in, sorry, I, I should probably qualify that. Every movie that I want on my... <laughs> name, <laughs> of <laughs> name of the podcast. Name of the podcast. But I can't... I, the, we the, haven't the, asked the question the rules, yet. Yeah. Uh, forbid me <laughs> from answering that. Which is, which is that... It didn't actually make me cry because I forgot to. I didn't have enough time. But let's say it was poignant. Um, it was also kind of, um, I felt like it, it, it was uh, funny in parts. So it, did, it played a kind of a good tone and balance, but it also meant something. I have no idea what that reviewer uh, uh, was talking about. I found it's like deeply profound, um, and um, yeah, and 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 beautiful, like uh, uh, visually, but also like the the uh, music and the sound design. Um, I thought it was very kind of like um, um, appropriate. No, it 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 um, it blew me away really, and I I I do appreciate actually that it is different from other. Um, Kurosawa movies and I think if you want another Kurosawa movie and Kurosawa isn't giving it to you like just be careful <laughs> because if you go looking for like say oh I'll watch a samurai movie what about um what's his name um is it Takashi Maika's oh um oh yeah this was this is the last year when this was not the this was what was this this was the um Yes, this was not a Kurosawa film that we watched, but yes, you're right, it was. No. Seppoku, um, Harry Kiri. Yes, Harry Kiri. Where Curry. Andrew assumed right. that we were talking about the 2011 Takeshi Mike uh, version. <laughs> Don't, yeah, that, 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 that won't kind of uh, bring a smile to your face. <laughs> <laughs> Surprising no one uh, who's seen Audition, I guess. <laughs> I'll, I'll load it like this. Anyway, sorry, sorry. 
I guess I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. Uh, no, I liked it. Good. Um, I liked it a lot. And um, that's that's my kind of immediate response to it. But I'm trusting it. Yeah. I can see that. All right, then. So before we jump into the Spore Zone, three questions um, to get us started. So, Niall, do you think that Durzu Uzala belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like I, this is one because every time I come on the show, I usually have to actually look at the IMDb top 250. <laughs> and I don't, I don't be like a snob or snarky, but there's a lot of stuff on it. I'm like, what the hell? Like, democracy is a failure. But <laughs> you, this, you like, mean this? You mean you it... think this is better than Warrior, starring Joel Egerton and Tom Hardy? <laughs> not a, not a terrible movie. No, not movie. a bad movie. I've not to be seen fair. that. I've not seen that. But um, but you know, just um. It's nice to see something like this just make it, you know, something mm. that's like not not very popular. And I don't even know has had like a bigger word of mouth resurgence. I was wondering, like, mate, yeah, I think it's great. It's here. If I was to say, like, write down my favorite 250 films ever are the ones I think this might not make it just because Kurosawa himself has so many like great movies yeah. that I might have to prioritize. But I'd love to. Yeah, I love that it's here. And I was wondering maybe what kind of drew me to this during like the big lockdown in 2020 or 2021 even oh my god i genuinely don't know (laughs) was like that it is a gentler film than we used to for him it's quite like affirming in man in a lot of ways i think his films Mm. usually are humanist like deeply but this is just so so goddamn pleasant (laughs) so Mm. yeah i think it's great it's here i fully support it and it's a great film to watch in lockdown where you have perhaps been locked in a house staring at four walls. It is a, a Kurosawa's <laughs> only film shot on 70 millimeter um, and it looks absolutely gorgeous, I would suggest. But we might come back to that. But Chris, as our Kurosawa expert, do you think that Durzu Uzala belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Well, you know, you know me. I could I could name every Kurosawa film ever made and uh, give the pros and cons to why they should or shouldn't be on the two hundred and fifty. I won't do that now, obviously. But um, that's a yeah, podcast extra. Was, yeah. <laughs> uh, like and subscribe well. onlyfans.com. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, again, like given my extensive but also limited knowledge of Kurosawa it's (laughs) it's up there with one of my favorites of his and like you say it actually is a really perfect lockdown movie because it's moves at a gentle pace it's 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 a simple story it's uh it's focused on a single relationship between these two men and it's um and it's 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 I don't want to say lovely because that's almost like damning with faint praise but um you know it's I, I loved it I thought it was great and um a good welcome break from not a welcome break from his old films but like it's it was a good change of pace so i would have it in my 250 you know and uh so yeah it's good right and and then and darren did the it, it oh sorry sorry you were going to ask i was going to ask you but you, you can go what are you going to ask there Andrew? would i would i do i think it belongs on the 250 i was going to say um it feels like a just the two of us episode <laughs> <laughs> just you and i where darren and i will like um cuddle into a discussion of a movie with no guests is this a very much a bromance movie and i i, I, I feel like um 
on the Bromance 250, it's, it's probably up there above like kind of um, 48 hours, <laughs> another 48 hours. <laughs> 96 hours, 127 hours. It's yeah. kind of an outlier there. Um, yeah. Um, the, the 48, the 49th to 86, 96th hour, which was the name of the second movie. And it's, you mean starring oh, warriors, we, we, Nick Nolte, right? We, we have Nick Nolte back in, in, in studio. What? Sorry. They, this happens every time we think we're safe. And then we start talking about a Nick Nolte movie and he comes into the room. Uh-huh. Um, well, he's just been staying with. He's not wearing a mask either. He's <laughs> <laughs> just been staying with Andrew during lockdown. Um, yeah, but that would I would watch. Sorry, I would watch that BBC uh, like sitcom. Um, but okay, so Andrew, do you believe that Dursu Uzala belongs on the list of the two? Didn't Stephen Merchant do that with Christopher Walken recently? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, I beg your pardon. Um, do I believe it belongs on the 250? Yeah, I, can, I mean, I kind of do. It's not the most iconic um, Kurosawa movie by any means. And I guess that probably works um, uh, against it. Because if you're trying to have a list like this, you kind of depend on people having seen the movie. Um, which is probably why it took so long to kind of get those 25,000 votes. But... Um, like like uh, how many how many Kurosawa movies are you going to put on there and kind of do if you have a certain amount of movies by the director do they necessarily have to be the best movies that that director has ever made or are they the ones where there there will be the least argument or the least head scratching I guess um so like on merit it it deserves to be up there but I I, I don't know if it has the same kind of cultural imprint. Yeah. I guess. Um, and then in terms of Soviet movies, you're probably going to have mostly Soviets <laughs> <laughs> making them. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that this is kind of interesting because that does, that's, my answer to this question is somewhat loaded in similar terms where you have seven Kurosawa movies uh, on the 250, uh, which is argued, that's as many as any other director has on at the moment. That's as many as Christopher Nolan, as many as Martin Scorsese, uh, as many as Spielberg, as many as Hitchcock. So it's, you know, it's a pretty impressive, pretty stacked, pretty full list. And the question is, like, you know, if you're adding a Kurosawa movie, does that mean removing somebody else's? And as Andrew said, like, what are the criteria for including Kurosawa movies? Like, if that's the case, you know, do you need Yojimbo and The Seven Samurai? Is it enough to have one samurai movie on there, for example? You know, what about Rashomon? What about Ran? You know, do you want a list that represents, as Andrew said, the, the canonical classics that everybody's seen and everybody loves? Or do you want a list? that perhaps represents like how broad a filmmaker Kurosawa is because again I am you know unlike our panelist Chris I am not an expert in Kurosawa and I don't <laughs> pretend to be um, and I think that you know this is something that okay, is utterly uh, utterly unlike anything I have seen from Kurosawa before and I think that if you want to put a bunch of his films on the list that represent his breadth as a filmmaker and what he's capable of uh, I think it, there's an argument for it being there. I think on the other hand, if you're saying, I want the Kurosawa canon on there, you know, maybe you could get rid of this and replace it with Throne of Blood, which we've covered, uh, or The Hidden Fortress, which we haven't. So I, I kind of can go either way uh, in terms of it. But I do think it is 
a beautiful movie. I think it's an important movie in terms of Kurosawa. I think it's an important movie in terms of, of world cinema, which we might talk about in the spoiler zone. So my answer is a very maybe what do you think the list is for kind of question. But on the other hand, it's better than Warrior. So probably yes. Um, all right. then. And then second question. I love how it's become the help. That, well, that's it. We lost the help. The help was the handy punching bag. Like, if I ever wanted to argue when something belonged on the 250, it's like, is it better than the help? Yes. Very similar move. But, Niall, would Dursu Uzala be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies ever? Ooh. Oh, that's really tough. I suppose I sat myself up earlier. Talking about like my own favorite Kurosawa's. This, you know, what after the first time I watched it, probably it wouldn't. But the second time, I think it kind of clicked with me a lot more for some reason. The first time I already liked it, but the second time, like Andrew said, I loved that this is like a bromance film, just through and through, and it's got a lot of lovely like. Just men hugging and having a nice time in the woods, you know? Like, there's a section at the end where it's literally just photographs of the two of them being yeah. boys. And it's the most lovely thing. They're best boys. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, come live with me and my wife and child. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I think if I was... Do you know what this weirdly reminded me of? Like, kind of old Disney Channel films. Like, almost 60s and 70s where, like, unlikely friendship happens. And it's got this childish wish fulfillment of... And then we live together, and it's great. Coded gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and obviously, Sorry. this doesn't end on the most like incredibly no. positive note, but no, it is a very you know it's a very affirming film. Especially, um, I love it in a context of where Kurosawa himself was in yes. life, that he'd gone through like such a horrible time, and he bounced back with like kind of no bitterness. Seemingly, it's just like kind of a, a genuine love of mankind shown as a bromance film and a kind of sad acceptance of modernity yeah no this would probably be in my top 250 now i sounded almost more negative earlier and i didn't mean to so i might be compensating but i love by i love we by the way that write I love, down I, before yeah, i love by the way what what what, what our answers <laughs> are like that's one of the tips they have for meetings <laughs> it's like decide how you feel about something before you come in the, the thing <laughs> is I, i've been on this podcast i think five times and every time i forget the three questions that are asked and it's so simple <laughs> I think I we like to hijack you um, and chris i'm gonna ask you to do something impossible i'm gonna ask you to put your status as a kurosawa expert aside your status as like a guiding light on this podcast as an icon and a legend and inspiration to myself and andrew just put that all aside for a moment just as a film viewer, as an audience member, as a human being, would Dursu Asala be on your own personal 250? Um, I mean, Darren, you know, you know how I like to operate in the shadows here, you know. But uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll put it all aside, it's fine. But um, yeah, I would. It's great. I loved it. Um, again, similar to Niall, I, I, I keep forgetting to think my answers <laughs> to these questions ahead of time. Um, and um, I've tried and failed a number of times to log all the films I've ever watched on Letterboxd so I have a definitive <laughs> list so I can actually maybe actually think about it more but um, I just I, I, it's a film I'd happily revisit and it's yeah like it may not have the same cultural significance as like you said as, uh, as Kurosawa's other films but maybe that's what makes it you know a film you can revisit time and again and 
and, and still get the same enjoyment out of it. I, yes, is the short answer. I would. Um, because it's, it's ace, I thought. <laughs> and, and Andrew, would it be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favourite movies? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Literally hot off the press. I, I feel like the, 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 that, that I'm going to be more kind of definitive about my answer on, 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 on that one. I would, I would, um, and um, and I, 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 in in terms of how it ranks with kind of other Kurosawa movies, I, th- I think it's not it's not that I actually like favor these sorts of movies over the samurai movies because I saw Ikiru and I didn't, I don't think I enjoyed it. I think it kind of bummed me out, and and then I I was aware that like a lot of the kind of reception of of it was like how life affirming, um and 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 wonderful it is. But I seem to kind of focus on the aspects of that movie, which um which pointed out how rubbish the world is. It's a wonderful <laughs> life people. syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Where the the yeah where yeah where I watch a, it's a wonderful life, and I'm like. That town is is just chewing him up. <laughs> why won't they let him leave? <laughs> let the man live. Um, um, no, but yeah, they, they, I, 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 I enjoyed this with kind of no real reservations. Um, it, it, it's um, as as Chris says, um, it is ace. Yeah, it's his class. I mean, that's why Chris <laughs> is the expert here. To be fair, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I just say that I like. I actually love Akira as well, and I'd actually rank like that plus this probably above most of the samurai films I've seen. Controversially, but that's just yeah. I don't know why. I, 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 yeah, don't know what point I'm trying to make there. But. Yeah, no, I, I'm kind of on a similar wavelength. Even though I love all pretty much all his samurai films, and I think they're all like you know great adventures but stuff like ikiru and i think high and low like his crime caper i think that might be my favorite of all this stuff and i maybe that's become like a hipster opinion lately that's popular but i'm not sure i'm not i'm not the kurosawa fan base kind of eludes me on the consensus <laughs> maybe you can elaborate on that chris but uh... <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe off mic later <laughs> it's a safe it's a safe place for movie hipsterism <laughs> like we we uh, when people ask the 250, well, um, do you prefer uh, Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton? We whip out Harry Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's Harry Lloyd. So, uh, and when they ask us if it's um, Blur Oasis, we always say Paul. Harold Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> Harold Lloyd. Yeah, Harold Lloyd is also our answer to that question. I love that Andrew says we went about because, like, the thing is, you know, everybody focused on the famous Charlie Chaplin body kidnapping. Nobody has noticed the buster that says that Harry Lloyd has been missing for several years because we've been whipping him out of conversations. <laughs> um, and for myself, um, on that segue, um, Maybe. Um, I've, I only saw this uh, yesterday, um, so I have only, to, Andrew was sure to joke, watched this five times. I've only watched it twice. <laughs> um, it's sitting with me. I really, really love it. I find myself deeply moved by it, so maybe. But I'm the kind of person who's like, no, I like to, to properly sit with a movie before I'm like, yeah, this is one of my 250 films ever. How many how many times did you watch Cats before you <laughs> figured out that maybe it's not that great? <laughs> I think it was somewhere between my fourth it, and fifth it has viewing. Its issues. Yeah, it has its issues. Yeah. Yes. 
You know what this needs? More buttholes. We're going to say between the fourth and fifth minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, then. And then our final question before we jump into the spoiler zone. Niall, if listeners have not yet seen uh, Dursu Uzella, and it seems there's a decent chance of that, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Oh, yeah. I know, I, I might say this every time, but I always think if you're going to listen to a podcast on a film, you should always see it, you know, good or bad. Just for, you know, to have a full, full understanding of it. Otherwise, this might get very confusing. But yeah, no, definitely do. And we talked a bit off here, and I think I'm allowed to say, or else it'll get edited out anyway, is I've only ever seen this film on YouTube where it's uploaded in its entirety. And I believe it is actually... I think that's fine, and that's why it's there. Because it is, because uh, Mosfilm, they're the Soviet film company. They're actually state-owned and copyright and communism and that sort of stuff. Yeah, communism, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which means free movies, so I'm, I'm a communist now. <laughs> and now, so we're we're now we're on Ben Shapiro. Now we're on Ben Shapiro. Thank you very much, Niall. <laughs> it was taken over by Boris Borisovsky. <laughs> And you don't want to take money out of those people's hands. Boris, <laughs> um, sorry. Um, Boris, bad enough. No, um, <laughs> if, if Boris is listening, um, or is Boris Borisovsky, is he, is he still um, a live? <laughs> Mikhail Khodorovsky, um, which of the Russian oligarchs am I safe to impugn? <laughs> but yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I'll cut you off there. Oh, uh, I beg your oh, yeah, so, No, it's me. I, I beg your pardon. <laughs> so I like how that started me being worried about advocating piracy to <laughs> whatever that, that was. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I do recommend seeing it. It's on YouTube, so really easily accessible. Um, if you have any way to see it, though, in like a, a better quality, I'd recommend that because this film is, even in the bad quality on YouTube, you can see it's stunning. Like, this is some of the most incredible nature photography you'll see outside of an actual like BBC documentary. Plus, it's got a plot, which makes it better than those. <laughs> Take yeah, that, Mr. Attenborough. Yeah, yeah well... I'm dragging Adden- him. I'm dragging him. <laughs> Attenborough tries to, to give a plot to it, but look at what he's working with. <laughs> nature is boring. You need to, like... It's just curse boring out riff tracks over ants. Yeah. It needs a good raft chase is what it really needs, um, or an impromptu hut construction. That's what a nature documentary really needs. Um, we, we, we should- Imagine how much footage they need to capture before they can get anything, like, even remotely interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, can we string a narrative together here yeah <laughs> we we should mention by the way actually and to, to be clear on this the the version that you watch on youtube um while the quality may not have been great it's worth acknowledging that some of the issues with the derzu are kind of built into them in that very famously uh, when kurosawa went to and i say very famously as if i didn't have to dig through uh, <laughs> links and links and links in order to find this story uh, from vladimir uh, valisev the uh, russian the soviet union co-director of this movie but as everybody knows um when kurosawa went to the soviet union to make this movie he met with soviet director andrei tarkovsky being obviously a big fan of each other uh, and tarkovsky's one advice, one bit of advice to Kurosawa on making a movie in the Soviet Union was do not use Soviet made film um, because the it will fade quicker than Fuji or Kodak. Uh, but unfortunately, the Soviet Union would not, you know, actually pay for Fuji or Kodak film to be used. So you end up shooting it on, I believe it's called Svema film. Um, well, 
I think the issue is that if you give Kurosawa Fuji and Kodak film, then you have to give everybody in the Soviet <laughs> Union Fuji and, and and Kodak film, and 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 then it takes like three or four years before you have enough to distribute to the whole population. And at that point, everybody uh, shooting on digital. Fuji yeah. and Kodak has moved on. Yeah, yeah. Kodak isn't even on um, telly anymore. Um, <laughs> Andrew, I think you might have just dismantled communism. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're on Ben Shapiro for a different reason. Um, <laughs> We should point out actually that yeah that that was one of the issues uh, when it came to like shooting in in the Soviet Union. Most film, despite being like Kurosawa, you can do whatever you want. You've got complete artistic freedom, the complete resource of the Soviet Union. Apparently, um, they they found themselves really frustrated at how much film Kurosawa was using because he would use, as we point out during the Seven Samurai episodes, multiple cameras to shoot the particular scene so he would have multiple angles on it. Uh, he would not produce like amounts of footage per day that they expected of him. It took, I believe, nine months over the course of, I think, two or three years in order to film all of this movie. Um, and that apparently, so yes, that may be one of the reasons why the most film said, no, you are not using the expensive Fuji or Kodak film. You're taking Svenma and you're going to be happy with it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the, the YouTube experience. What, what, in terms of like aspect ratio... Um, and this doesn't seem like a very Andrew question, but like I, I like watching the movie, and I don't know was it my device, but it 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 was very uh, wide, and I thought that it worked very well with the kind of movie it was, um, because it, because it's um in in the nature. And it didn't do that thing that mommy did of like bringing it in <laughs> whenever they moved to the city, you know. But um, uh, I, I, yeah, I was, I was, I was just curious to know, like, like, did it feel expansive even watching it on YouTube or kind of? Yeah, when it's like full screen, I think the aspect ratio is, you know, perfect. Right. I, I have kind of a good eye for it now. I know when, like, sometimes Netflix does a thing to my TNG episodes where it stretches it out. Yeah. Patrick Stewart's head's too big all of a sudden. And there was, there was none of that. Patrick Stewart wasn't even in this film. <laughs> so, yeah, I do like the YouTube experience as a phrase. Um, so, uh, and, and Chris, you, you watched this on, on DVD, I believe. So would you recommend that listeners watch Dursu Asala if they haven't seen it before? Um, I, I would, yes. And um, you'd think me watching it on you know a hard copy DVD would, was actually pain-free when it really wasn't. So, um, you know, listeners may know having a baby at home, having to baby-proof a house, the Blu-ray player was at key hand-grabbing level. So it was put in the attic a few months ago. So cue me yesterday afternoon in the attic, digging the Blu-ray player out of the attic (laughs) because I had no other (laughs) CD-ROM drive in the house. So, uh, So anyway, got a Blu-ray player set up playing part one because in on the artificial eye edition of this it's it split into two parts and um so you know great part one begin um it hits the intermission it goes back to the main menu ask me to start part two i have no remote <laughs> control from which to select part two so <laughs> uh this is this is now 10 p.m last night and uh <laughs> i uh 
Luckily, uh, my wife's laptop I discovered does have a CD-ROM drive, which I wish I'd known at the start. <laughs> and I was able to watch part two on a completely different screen. And it was, boy, boy, it was, it was, it was some experience that cinematic. Uh, Created a serious marital argument. (laughs) (laughs) I have this image of like Chris just sitting in the attic, like as the sun's getting low. Quick, move faster, move faster. This is very important. This is my career. (laughs) Three boxes, three boxes. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's if that's not an analogy for you know the the uh, birth of streaming, I don't know what is. but uh, anyway, sorry, long story short, um, it was lovely. It's it beautiful. It was great. Um, I got a good feel for the kind of those expansive landscapes. Um, uh, I didn't pay massive attention to the aspect ratio, but I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was good. Um, so, you know, usually I'd be like, ah, watching me on YouTube? Nah, DVD, mate. But uh, in this case... <laughs> I'm very jealous, Niall. Very jealous <laughs> Niall literally just pressed a button and then maybe another button yeah. to mix matter to full screen. Wow. And that was it. He was just done for two hours and 20 minutes. 2022, huh? Yeah. Did you get... I, I think you can set it up so that you don't get ads. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the middle yeah. this isn't like when we watch Crimea Andrew and I and we just stop getting ads for cryptocurrency in the middle of it um, but yeah Andrew and, like I'm sorry I know what you're about to ask um, unfortunately it's gone from about 70,000 to down to like 38,000 okay. dollars in the last few yeah. months so the, it's uh, it's been tough but at least I still have this podcast money. <laughs> and that sweet um, NFT of an ape yeah, smoking a cigarette. I've got some ugly monkeys to yeah. sell. <laughs> <laughs> but Andrew, if listeners have not seen Dursu Uzala, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? Absolutely, yeah. And I will say it's difficult to watch it if you're not going to watch it on YouTube. And I don't know if it's something that will always kind of stay up. So if you're listening to this now, like check if it's still up there and then watch it immediately. I once watched Robocop on YouTube, which I feel like is fine because I've watched it so many times. Um, and at the time, I didn't have much of a kind of a home video situation. <laughs> um, and I was so delighted with it, but I was watching it in parts because it was like part five of seven. <laughs> and then I came back the next day and it was taken down. I was like, no. So don't make the same mistake as I did with Robocop. Um, that's that's the, um, obligatory. Yeah, gratuitous, oh, the gratuitous uh, Robocop reference. I, I do love, by <laughs> the way. Have our obligatory Robocop I, reference. Later. I feel like if the Soviet Union comes back and reasserts its copyright of Dursa Urzala, um, we have bigger things to worry about than maybe not being able to watch this movie on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we wanted you to think. Uh, and, and for myself, yes, I would absolutely wholeheartedly recommend it. I had a wonderful, wonderful time with it. It is a beautiful movie. Uh, to look at to lose yourself in it looks absolutely stunning watch it on as big a screen as possible um so yeah if you're in the uk you can watch it on criterion i think if you're in the us yes united states is what i meant to say (laughs) (laughs) god damn it you had me going there i actually been missing out on that this whole time (laughs) yes if you are in the us it is available on criterion I meant United. I, I I meant kingdom like an in inverted commas. It's not actually a kingdom. It's We're all citizens of the world, like, actually. Weird thing. <laughs> 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 oh, 
All right, then, with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, oh no, actually, no, it's fine. Spoiler zone. Now we have to continue. Um, so, Chris, <laughs> what yes, is sir. Durzu Urzala about for you? Uh, it's it's I'm trying to you know yeah, I was trying to think about this, but um, there's actually not that whole much to spoil really. Um, um, it's it's uh, it centers around this this lovely friendship, but in between. Uh, um, a Russian army captain Arsene, surveying yes, some yeah. deep forests. Yeah, and uh, and the hunter, the local, local hunter, meets along the way, which is the aforementioned Dozu. And uh, capers, they get into capers. And um, uh, that's kind of it. Like, I mean, there's not a whole lot going on. Well, no, it's it's a, it's incredibly like charming little movie it's quite episodic in terms mm. of structure there's very much like things that happen along the way um it is very famously obviously an adaptation of the memoirs that were written by arseniev about his experiences kind of mapping famously. uh the region sorry famously <laughs> well well i mean it, it is famously because like apparently when mozfilm approached kurosawa they were like what would you like to adapt and you know, obviously Kurosawa had been a big fan of kind of Russian literature. He'd already done an adaptation of, I believe, uh, The Idiot, which he'd relocated, obviously, to Japan uh, at the time. He think he moved it to Hokkaido, uh, possibly. Uh, and again... Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Because did, 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 um, seemingly Hokkaido is another kind of a part of the world where they have those, um, like, taiga... Um, uh, forests um like where 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 it's similar to um the the uh, uh russian kind of um it's the same it's the same biome um that 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 this is kind of shot in yeah which is which is the 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 kind of um i think it's called like the i think like english speaking people generally call it kind of um i think it's like snow forest or there's another word for it as well. They 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 they, they use the word I think taiga. Yes, within the film um, itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's um boreal, boreal forest. Um, it was all coniferal and it's like pine and very strong and seasonal larch. changes and yeah. and yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry, I beg your pardon. But but no, it's interesting that like that that's where he situates the kind of Russian movie in in. Um, when shooting it in Japan or repurposing or repurposing it for for Japan, or maybe it's not that interesting. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, and again, it was a movie that, as, as kind of Niall pointed out, was savaged by Japanese critics when it was released, like a lot of his movies were. But again, managed to turn a profit in at the box office and was very usually popular among audiences. Um, apparently, it was cut from the studio. It was originally meant to be like four and a half hours, and it was cut to less than three hours. Uh, and apparently he was not particularly happy over that. And then he also adapted uh, Maxim Gorky's uh, The Lower Depths as well. And he kind of shifted it from, I believe, uh, shifted it to, I think, 16th century Japanish. Um, and so kind of repositioned it there. And he had wanted to do an adaptation um, of this, of kind of Dursu Usala, the kind of the series of kind of nature travelogues uh, books, I believe, since he'd first read it in the 30s. But Imperial Japan... 
uh, for reasons we might talk about later, had basically said, uh, no, that is not something that we would consider to be patriotic. Um, so you're not going to get to make that. So when he was asked by Mosfilm, like, what he would like to adapt, um, his first suggestion uh, was Gogol's Taras Bulba, which is a Cossack story. However, Mosfilm said, we actually have uh, another director, Sergei uh, Bonchurk, uh, of, I shouldn't try to pronounce names, Bondarshuk. Um, who was the director of War and Peace. Uh, War and Peace. Uh, I should also not try to pronounce words like peace, apparently. Uh, <laughs> the director of War and Peace uh, was already preparing to, to film it. So they said no. This is your speech and language therapy. Yeah, this is <laughs> doing a podcast. <laughs> I will get there eventually. Um, but Kurosawa then said, like, this was his second pick because he had he wanted to do this since, like, the 1930s. And it was like, finally, he's like, yes, I will finally get to make this version of this. But yeah, it is, it is famously, obviously, based on a true story based on true accounts that actually happened um obviously as uh uzala kind of mentions in the film he's a member of the goldie tribe um and like there's that moment where the russians are like what are you are you chinese are you korean he's like no i am i'm a goldie um and apparently he's a member of the upper usuri branch but again what's what's interesting in terms of historical context is that there are only three members of this tribe alive in 1901 um Oko Belde and Dursu Uzala. And both of the Beldes were killed uh, in the spring of that year um, by bandits on the Notu River, uh, making Dursu, by the time that this story begins, the last member of this tribe. And again, I think it's kind of interesting. I think Niall kind of alluded to it. And I think obviously um, Chris did as well. The fact that this opens with the knowledge that, that Dursu is dead, it has a kind of an opening that reminds me a bit of The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance where you have like yes, uh, Arsenov yeah. kind of coming to visit the marked grave of like this person who was hugely important to him and by implication hugely important to like the mapping and settling and founding of this region and like usually influential in terms of allowing the authorities to map it and to set boundaries and to set borders who's like not only dead but whose grave has been completely erased by progress and by modernity and i find that kind of interesting and niall i think you mentioned that in terms of like this is a kurosawa film being about modernity do you want to kind of speak to that maybe a little bit uh in terms of that idea of you know its treatment of, of the main character and progress and time moving on oh sorry you're 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 muted oh good because i was stalling for time anyway <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, I'm I glad think... that you asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, That's I a think, really um, good question. Sorry. The way it, it tackles that is really interesting because I feel like the whole way through the movie, I think Derzu himself hasn't, he kind of has this knowledge of being kind of the last of his tribe. And in a way, like you said, it's episodic. It almost feels like a series of Derzu passing on these lessons for a lot of it. You know, he meets these Russian troops who at first don't respect him very much, but everything he says is correct. And he's got like this kind of connection to nature that he tries his best to impair it. Like he even forces them to look at the value of a glass bottle in the jungle and how that's like so valuable and we're there just destroy it. And yeah, and I find like the last act of this film, when he's like brought to the city, it's just so heartbreaking in all these like little gentle ways he realizes he's not as free as he would be normally. Man cannot live in a box, or what kind of man can live in a box, yeah, I think is the quote. I 
I thought it, it it was very interesting in the context of oh and sorry by the way to 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 your point about Liberty Valance that's probably not unintentional yeah like, I, 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 because he he Kurosawa is a big fan of John Ford yeah um I wonder if that that's but 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 speaking of the kind of modernity of it it feels like a very un-Soviet movie. Um, in 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 the sense that, like, obviously it was a, be- a be- be- beloved book, but like for for for, um, the great thing about movies is that they can mean different things to different people, and I guess that if the Soviet authorities come to uh, Kurosawa and say like, um, oh, we uh, this is a movie about this or this is a movie about that, you can say, what are you talking about? It's a movie about a bunch of men it's in the a, woods being friends. It's about two workers <laughs> together, like accomplishing tasks. Um, no, the, that that it was kind of it. It felt very kind of spiritual to me, and and a, 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 a kind of a I guess pay on of the, the sort of human spirit at, um, against um, the structures that we've kind of um, uh, created in a very kind of physical material world um that doesn't kind of um connect to our deepest selves that 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 dursu is a spiritual self in a spiritual world that the everything around dursu is alive yes it is people fire um, is people water is people yeah um exactly. the sun is the most important people that sort of yeah. thing yeah and there's a clear a clear point in the film it's when he kind of betrays his own values to himself, yeah. you know, by killing that, that, uh, the tiger, the Amber, that's yeah. kind of the beginning of the end for him. Like, even if he hadn't gone to that city, I think that was like his spiritual death in a way is what he did there, which I think is, you know, a really beautiful thing is that like all of nature is so important to him in that sense. Mm. There's no, like, he doesn't believe like man is on that hierarchy in a way. Which, yeah, again, it's like very, <laughs> not a very Soviet theme, as you said. Well, on the other hand, it does suggest that all things are equal, right? They're all part of one greater... No, because it's suggesting that we're not. <laughs> it's suggesting nature is greater than us all. Which I think they yeah. say in the film a few times. It's kind of like like if you had taken... If it wasn't 1907... And you would take him instead to like brutalist Soviet architecture. You'd be like, I feel very comfortable yeah. here. This is nice. Yeah. <laughs> this is much better than the countryside. Um, it's, a, it's a shame Kurosawa never got to adapt the second book with time travel elements. Yeah. He was just so yeah. upset with the, the size of the fire. If he'd been, you know, a big furnace in Moscow, well, but, 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 different story. I mean, like that, that is like, again Kurosawa's visual storytelling. That's so amazing. Like the sequence where he's introduced like literally wandering out of the darkness and sitting by the fire and those long takes which are kind of almost painterly I think that like at one point Arsenev describes it as reminding him of a painting and it does it looks like a painting it's absolutely gorgeous but then you have that contrasted with the incredibly sad shots of Durzu sitting down in front of a furnace staring at a fire behind a grate in a wall and this kind of contrast you have between like what was once vast and kind of like expansive and open and like fresh and something that is now just contained and smothered and kind of trapped it's it's such a wonderful bit of visual storytelling i think like dare i say i think this is this is a much more successful take on this kind of idea of like human freedom van like nomadland was yes which just didn't really 
I don't or, know. Or I, like I, Into I the Wild, to, like to mention a kind of a, a movie we've covered on the on the 250 and it, with similar vibes, which is man, yeah. nature's pretty awesome, isn't it? We should like white men should enjoy <laughs> it more. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that, that like, well, I suppose Into the Wild kind of has a bit of this as well, but it's 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 kind of there are parts of this where I was reminded of um, Herzog movies, like like Aguirre, Wrath of God, around the same time, seventy two, I think, when, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where 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 nature is the enemy, kind of. And it 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 is imperative to all men we must destroy nature before it destroys us. Um, and I, I thought no, they, that movie was more about how Klaus Kinski is a danger to mankind. Yes, but. yeah, I think so. Yeah. He is a maniac. Um, yeah, no, they. they I think Darren's point about the the kind of painterly quality of it is quite well made. That the, the and it's in so many ways like his use of color. I think like recently um, or a long time ago, depending on when this comes out, we were talking about Wilder and his kind of distaste for the way Hollywood at that time kind of used colour. Sprinkling it like Sherbert, I think, is how he described it. Yeah. Yes. And 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 that kind of foreign filmmakers have a better kind of a grasp of it. And I think compared to other 70s movies, there was something kind of, um, maybe intentionally, um, but always feel kind of like dirty or something. And this is a movie like in the dirt, but it feels beautiful. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel dingy. It, it 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 like the composition the the color the the symbolism of kind of like how they kind of like uh, um uh, frame characters the, the 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 way like light and shadow works in 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 it. It, it it was there were so many moments kind of in the movie where it's like this is just a painting i'm looking at um and because it's slow i guess it 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 maybe um um enhances that aspect of it. I don't know. Um, I mean, and I think like, is there an argument to be made because again, this is shot on seventy mil. This does feel, and again, at the risk of being reductive about Kurosawa, you mentioned his his fondness for John Ford. This really does feel like a kind of a Western movie in many respects. We mentioned like Liberty Valance, even things like using the train tracks to demark like civilization, and it's the boundary that he can't really cross. Because he goes to it and he touches it and he's kind of amazed. And then it's like, okay, well, look, we're going to go into town. And he just kind of disappears back into the wilderness. And like one of the things that I I really like about this movie is the sense that like the wilderness is shrinking and contracting and getting smaller as the movie goes on. Because like at the start, you have the conversation with like the soldiers where he's like, you know, you hit everything you aim at. And it's like, we are soldiers. We're not supposed to miss. Then you are great hunter. Kill everything. Nothing left for us to eat. Or the fact that, like, before he has to shoot the tiger, you have a conversation where he's yelling into the wilderness at a tiger saying, is there not enough room in the tiger for all of us? And you have this idea in the movie that, like, you have the two halves, the game of two halves, where in the first half, pretty much the only other people they encounter are indigenous, like an indigenous woman and her children and a lone Chinese man who has wandered into the hills to die. Now, there are some suggestions. Lee, Lee Sung Lee Pin. Lee Sung Pin. From Tian Sin. Yeah. yeah. Is... 
And like, but the idea is that like, this is a really remote place and there are tracks on the ground and there are indications that maybe other people have come through, but everything is isolated and you could wander for days and months and years and never see anybody. Like at one point, there's a real fear that like Dursu and Arshinov are going to like die in the middle of nowhere because they are completely, yeah, in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a frozen lake because they are completely alone and they cannot find the camp that they set. And nor nor can they make a fire yeah. <laughs> to keep them warm. <laughs> like, let's just make a fire in the middle of this frozen lake. Well, there was the moment when they crawl into the hut and he has the lighter. And I'm like, that seems like a very bad idea. I've seen Midsummer yeah. and I've seen the Wicker like, Man. I thought he, and he just takes out his pipe. And he's like, oh, God, I'm an addict. What am I doing? Um, that would have been inappropriate smoking. It would have been, but I, 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 I thought our inappropriate smoking was going to be, um, like all the times they're smoking a pipe or just smoking at night. Like, I, but having said that, I think when I smoked, I would often have like a, a cigarette at the end of the day. Nobody should smoke. <laughs> <laughs> all smoking <laughs> but, is inappropriate. It's an injurious. All smoking is inappropriate, but it is, it is, it is a, um, a stimulant, so it can prevent you from sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Careful with that, kids. <laughs> but like, you have this juxtaposition of like the wilderness in 1902, which is big, vast, and empty, and nobody's anywhere. And then, like, f- not five years later, all of a sudden, it's like packed with bandits and like murdered women and murdered men and like groups chasing yeah. bandits and like you know. I I will say that that that's not something that is new kind of in in that kind of like they did they, they, that was the background to kind of like Genghis Khan is is kind of um tribes marauding into kind of territory that isn't theirs and stealing women um and 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 animals and and there being these kind of like feuds and kind of and people having to go and try to to rescue back what has been taken that it's not so much modernity. I know, I know, but of. it's a sense of like so this space that was once like calm and tranquil and quiet and remote is no longer. It's all being like everybody's tripping over each other, it seems, in the second half of the movie. And then you get to the point where like at the end, this unmarked grave in the middle of nowhere is now a town where people are too busy to die um, in the opening of the movie. I just find it interesting, that kind of idea of like how fast it all kind of moves. I know he's not literally working in the same place, but it's still he's, you know, mapping out parts of the country that are yet to be discovered and kind of setting boundaries. I just find it interesting that over the course of the movie, it's very much because you have that that thing with the tiger. You get the sense with the tiger that like initially there's room for man and tiger to coexist. Like when he encounters the tiger the first time, he can yell at it and the tiger will go away. Then in the second time, the moment that, you know, Niall points out, the moment that kind of dooms his soul and kills his spirituality is the moment when the tiger can't go away. There's nowhere for the tiger to go to. The tiger has to confront him and he has to shoot the tiger and kill the tiger. And the idea that there is no more space for that in the world anymore. Maybe. Am I am I being unfair? Is that unreasonable? No, no I, I, th- I think there's an argument for that. I think that's certainly the, the the kind of the the point that the movie is trying to make, that like to this um, kind of uh, supposed um, progress that 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 maybe we lose more than we gain. I don't know if it's heartening or not, but that the wilderness is coming back now, 
in Russia. And it, but, but it's not for any kind of um, positive life-affirming reason. It's because people don't want to have children and are um, uh, like, well, is, is, sorry, I, 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 I shouldn't generalize, but my understanding is, 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 is that kind of these parts of, of Russia, especially like, um, like Siberia, um, that used to have um, kind of uh, settlements are, are slowly becoming kind of like dead towns where there is nothing anymore and where graveyards are overgrown, but not with um, buildings, but with, um, with, with, with trees and with kind of tundra. And, um, but, but, but again, it's, it's, it's not because people decided like that they kind of wanted to become hunter gatherers again. It's because like they're drinking themselves to early death and, um, that sort of stuff, all that cheery. But you mentioned the, you mentioned the word heartening there, Andrew, I'm going to desperately grab towards something I can find. Um, but you did mention the word heartening and I think it's interesting that Niall, I think described this as a very heartening movie. Uh, is yeah is that fair to say now like is it like is this a happy movie do you think is this uh are we focusing too much on the negativity perhaps no i think i think it's definitely is a bittersweet movie but i think the stuff that's happy in it isn't contradicted by the stuff that's sad it's the kind of reality of it because it is like following these two men from such different backgrounds just become such firm and fast friends and just overcome all these obstacles is really lovely, you know? Um, but it's placed in this historical context where this is the last member of, you know, a culture and is always going to be, even if this film never touched on it, there's the unspoken thing of this man will one day die. And like mm. this film is, you know, pre-fronts the film with it, that this man is dead and everything you see is like the last hurrah of the Goldie people in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, obviously the way he dies is is terrible. We don't, we never see it, but we know he's killed by someone for his rifle, which is a gift from his friend, which is really sad, of course. But um, and the fact that he's killed for like, the rifle after having used another rifle to shoot the the tiger as well. Making yeah, it- yeah. Sorry, but um, yeah, and but you know, it's kind of so respectful of his final days. Like aside from that, which is a really it's funny because for us that would be quite an understandable thing in a lot of ways is to if you're going to be either killed by an animal or kill the animal and live you're going to do that and that's actually quite natural <laughs> i think it, well, in you know in literally in nature is kill or be killed in that sense or fight or flight so um no i think i think this is like a very life affirming film but part of affirming life is accepting death that everything ends yeah they, they, they. It has the moment where he, he, like quite early on, where he's talking about the sun and the moon, and it just lays it out there straight away. It kind of says, "Sun and sun is um, a very important people. If it dies, uh, everyone like are dies. Very strong people. But if it dies, everyone dies, and the moon as well. Um, and and I, I agree that this is a very life affirming movie." Because I think that the, the kind of wisdom can't be kind of uh, destroyed, you know, like people can kind of move on and in, in a certain direction, but 
the the things that um Dersu Uzala is trying to kind of impart or what this movie is trying to impart is something that can't be um killed because it it's it it, it for for people who believe in 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 the spirit or even for people who believe in just an intellect you can um um you can have imagination and memories and that they're worth more than um the kind of the things that other people think are important um which is just things um if that makes sense what 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 struck me about it is that the soldiers who don't get Dursu Uzala are like children and he says as much yeah. but they're they but it, they're they're very childlike it's because they 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 lack that kind of wisdom that's been uh, uh, robbed from them in a world that's kind of going to hell in a handbasket but that that's a choice you, there 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 is something kind of in everybody or at least i feel like the movie is trying to say that there is something in everybody which 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 can connect with the world as it is and not the world that we've created, I guess, if that makes sense. We should mention, actually, sorry, just while we're talking about the tiger, I believe one of the things that caused some uh, controversy among the cast and crew was that the trained tiger could not behave as they expected, so Kurosawa used a wild tiger instead. Um, I, <laughs> I, I do love that one of the big recurring themes of behind the scenes on Dursu Ozawa is like, you know, Kurosawa being told, you can do whatever you want, we're happy to have you here. And taking complete advantage of that. Can can I just say there is no such thing as a trained tiger. <laughs> that, that, that's um, the 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 that tiger that belonged to Siegfried and Roy. Um, Siegfried and Roy was supposedly trained. Um, uh, um, but but Chris, what about you? Nature would break through a stone wall. Bit of Harambe. Um, but Chris, what about yourself? Like, it, like in terms of this movie as as a heartening movie, like, is it fair to say? Is it is it bittersweet? Is it happy? Is it sad? Is it a combination? I I totally agree with everything that's been said up to now. Um, like, all that makes sense is you know the crushing drive for modernity and it encroaching on the you know the natural world and things. I came away feeling yes, it's bittersweet, but finishing on quite a. Uh, upsetting no you know given given does his demise and i know that was obviously set you know forecast at the very start but that final scene then compounded by the first scene of the movie to say like oh he's even this marker know, is gone yeah yeah like i mean every every vestige of this man is is, is gone he's only now living in memory and the the photographs that they took like i mean it was almost an official historical record of of this tribe vanishing off face of the earth. So it was it was a beautifully told story and beautiful relationship between these two guys and and, and that sort of thing. But and I, I I loved it, but it, it did leave me a bit like it was finishing on a on a downbeat as opposed to an upbeat. For me. Um, it kind of reminded but, me of of. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, but like, I mean, that's, you know, not, not a bad thing. Just kind of what I took away from it at the end, that, that final few shots. It, 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 it reminded me, oddly enough, of the death of Stalin. 
And this is the spoiler zone for all yeah. movies. So we're, 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 spoiler, Stalin died. <laughs> <laughs> this is later in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Death of Stalin like, is kind of like, oh, God, why did you tell me the name of the movie? Now I know what happened. It's like, I wanted to know nothing. Um, but no, how um, when it's, um, I forget which character it is, but how like he's, immediately i think like executed and then just set on fire and there's no dignity and there's no kind of um uh somber kind of uh reflection or time or consideration given to this life that is just being lost um and yeah yeah it 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 definitely it definitely does have that but i i i think i think it's it i don't know it, it, yeah it's 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 a difficult one I feel I feel like these things are more kind of um valuable or appear more valuable when they're kind of like um uh, juxtaposed with with their 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 opposite um sometimes I think um in in terms of that that kind of bittersweetness in the movie um one thing the kurosawa experts uh kind of agree on including chris i mean i did read his book for this but uh chris's <laughs> contemporary uh donald ritchie who's, who's written about this at the criterion collection uh i mean look if chris ever says no we will have donald ritchie on the podcast but until that day we're gonna stick with our man uh but donald ritchie i, know, I never say no <laughs> but uh Richie has made made the point that like if you read the original script that Kurosawa wrote for this before he arrived on set before he committed to making the movie it is a much more dark and depressing film. Uh for example in an unpow- in a powerful unfilmed sequence Durzu and Arsniev come uh, find the corpse of a Chinese the eyes of which the crows have pecked away. The Russian says under this scene in looking at this lonely corpse Durzu was seeing the face of his own future alone, helpless on the steps. He had looked into the face of his own death and knew terror. Thereafter, he wrapped himself more tightly in his habitual silence. And obviously, that is entirely absent, and Kurosawa stripped a lot of that stuff um, out of the movie as well. And I think the crit- That's just that's just something. <laughs> yeah, that's just heavily, heavily implied. But- that sounds yeah. like Ro- Rorschach's journal. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the city is an abattoir. Um, <laughs> the the Tega is an abattoir. Um, but the man does say it's an Acker's yard. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in up 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 here, one of one of the soldiers, uh, one of his kind of retinue. But they, like they, to, to make to make it feel more heartening, like generally speaking, that like people like Peter B. High argue that like, and I, I really like this is that like Kurosawa wrote the script as Niall said at the lowest ebb of his career, at the lowest ebb of his life, at a moment where he was afraid that he would never get to make movies again after he had attempted to take his own life, after he had been fired from a big American movie, which is something you know, obviously he was a, a you know director who'd loved working you know, or loved Hollywood movies and like working in Hollywood was a big deal and working with Zanuck and Fox was a big deal. So to be fired from that two weeks into filming was shattering to his ego um the fact that you know his first color movie was the first kurosawa movie to lose money like the very very dark place and like people have said you can see that in that script that he wrote and it's kind of amazing that you then the argument is that once he arrives on set and once he starts filming he starts rewriting the script 
to remove a lot of that darkness, a lot of that kind of like more cynical stuff, a lot of those, you know, crows pecking out people's eyes and staring into his own death and knowing terror and wrapping himself in his habitual silence. Um, And like, I mean, there's the great quote here, the observation that, you know, and again, this is a quote from Richie. Whatever the reason, the finished film differs from the original script. In the former, Dursu dies through the machinations of progress, not, as in the latter, through the existential fact of having been born at all and thus being doomed to death. So, I mean, I find that kind of heartening that Kurosawa is like, you know, living isn't always suffering, just when modernity interferes. Otherwise, it's fine. Yeah, when he he holds back, you know. (laughs) Yeah. It can work as well, you know. But like I, I, I do think this is a very humanist work. I really love the relationship between Dursu and Asanov. It is a it is a bromance through and through, and I kind of adore that aspect of it. Um Yeah, it's but like there's something in Dursu that um Arseniev really admires. And there's something that we as an audience kind of admire in Dursu. And I think that that is the 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 heartening thing. Is that they, even even though this is somebody living a very different life to to ours, kind of in the contemporary world, that we can we can we can kind of connect to the the the, the kind of the the pastoral beauty and a kind of like an appreciation of simpler things, I guess. Um, I think that's something I really like just about. Um, sorry, what is the main Russian character's name? Arsenyev. Arsenyev, yeah, of of like that all being contextualized by they're out there to map the environment yeah. is that they are, you know, even though at first they're not so eager to take on Deuce's advice, is they are out there to learn. And I yeah. think that's the beautiful thing about the relationship is Deuce has so much knowledge and they are people who, like their job is to learn. So I think that's kind of a great message to it is to have this open mind when meeting other cultures and people like Deuce. Or anyone, really. It's interesting at the start of part two as well, where he's on his second expedition in 1907, and he 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 wishes he could bump into <laughs> Ursu because everything would go so much faster. Because <laughs> so like he hasn't even learned that much in the intervening years. It's like I still need this local knowledge. Yeah. Where's my buddy? <laughs> It'll be so much better every day. Like you get the sense that he wakes yeah. up every every time he hears a rustling outside. He's like, "Is it Durzu? Is it Durzu?" <laughs> um, <laughs> That's like one of the few times you like wish social media existed back then. <laughs> so those two could have actually like stayed in touch. Just having to walk around I, Russia till you bump into your pal Darcy. I, I, I don't know. I think Darcy would be one of those guys who never joined Bebop. <laughs> <laughs> just on principle. No, he's yeah. too cool. He's just wearing like a leather jacket and smoking cigarettes at the party. <laughs> and it's like, hey, can I join you? On, can I add you on Bebo? It's like, are you a child? <laughs> I think I think the problem is you'd, you'd add everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to you have to warn him about like prank phone calls and scam. Like at one point, they, like he and he adds trees and fire and wind. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... yeah, at one point, like he talks during the second half of the movie about how he gets swindled out of all his money because he's like such a and innocent um because he he really does seem again there's an innocence to him despite being so worldly despite being so experienced despite being so knowledgeable which is kind of heartening people used to have to invite you over to their house in order to scam you and give you vodka (laughs) (laughs) now you just got a like a robocall from 
Uh, is there anything else we kind of want to talk about with regards to the movie? I have some stuff I want to talk about, like outside the movie and kind of its release context and stuff. But any particular sequences from the movie or any elements that kind of are jumping out at kind of Chris or Niall or Andrew? I suppose uh, just because we, we haven't really mentioned it, just about Darcy's character is, of course, you know, he's a man who's lost his, his entire family as well to Through illness. smallpox, yeah. Through smallpox, yeah. And it's I don't want to delve into movie. it too much. Jesus, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry. It's a, it's a, smallpox was like a, a very large pan, pan, pandemic. It, 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 it's, um, and, and although some podcasts have decided not to speak about COVID, we're going the other way. <laughs> We feel like there isn't enough of it out there, so we're going to talk about it all the time, every episode. Uh, so sorry, <laughs> sorry for interrupting Niall sorry, for Niall. the obligatory COVID reference. Um. <laughs> I, th- I think that, that one really threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> I beg your pardon, sorry. Nobody sorry. expects yeah, the yeah. obligatory COVID reference. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, just to say, like, because it kind of strengthens... Um, the character's like general cheeriness is that you are kind of told this up front. It's not a late reveal or anything. I think it's in kind of the first conversation they have around a campfire. But, uh, but yeah, it just, it kind of sets up this kind of trad, you know, that you know this is going to end badly in a way, but it sets up, uh, no, I've lost it. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but that's, that's all I really want to say is, is that we do get some backstory for him, which makes yeah his resolve in the face of the world he's you know he's in even more admirable and and likable. Yeah, absolutely. It, it it's it's kind of um, and and I think he understands all of that stuff um, better than kind of some of us are able to kind of cope with things, um, like they they, they and and. And that he's 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 capable of um, kind of think of it in in the terms that like they died, everything dies, um, uh, kind of you know smallpox takes them, the fire burns them, um, and yeah that 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 that, that, um, that like like that nature isn't some gentle thing in the movie at no. all like the that the you know it is kind of like into the wild in that sense because there's a sort of a romance about it but it's also this kind of unforgiving um environment um and i mean we we should note by the way that um uzala is played by the tovu actor uh, maxim munzuk um apparently most film uh when they got kurosawa were very eager to get shira mifune to play the role uh, but apparently <laughs> <laughs> he probably would be good. Um, well, he, he would, but, but but it was like, well, they were told two things. The first thing was you cannot afford him as a state-run Soviet <laughs> film industry. And the second thing is... He looks cheap, <laughs> but he's not. He might be like a kind of flea-bitten. <laughs> he costs a lot of and, money. And the other thing was there's no way that he's going to commit to make this movie for nine months um, in Soviet Russia. Um 
but um but not not even in like you know fashionable mountain <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> in the middle of nowhere well to be fair like there were like apparently helicopters that were flying in supplies to the shoot as well and again like the soviets again immediately it's great that kurosawa was like i have complete final cut complete autonomy i can do whatever i want and the soviets like don't seem to have understood what that meant giving him that sort of control because he was like he wanted to wait for and again because kurosawa is as we mentioned i think when we mentioned when we talked about like seven samurai when we talked about uh the throne of blood like kurosawa is a director who like directs weather really really well and so much of this movie is about like the transition of seasons um shots like in the middle of winter shots in autumn shots in spring and apparently the soviets were horrified that he wanted to like shoot all of these scenes in the right seasons uh, rather than say importing leaves and leaving them on the ground to make it look like autumn as well um so that's oh it it, it would have completely taken away from it because because the, the movie goes to such lengths to establish kind of uh those things like like like, like even the use of of of, of music yeah. and i i think i mentioned it briefly earlier on but that 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 it kind of echoes the mood and the environment. And if you don't have kind of, if you don't film kind of like during uh, seasonally that you don't get, that, that you don't kind of get the benefit of, of all of that good work, like where the woodwinds are kind of like the, the, the bird song and the, you've got like bells and vibes that is kind of the, the, the low kind of light. Uh, threaten them and then the, the the like even even stuff like the the drums when they're kind of like panicking it all it all sort of works really well so that the um that's a stunningly beautiful why go to all that trouble <laughs> <laughs> like, um yeah yeah if you're going to make a nature movie like i mean even the establishing shots in winter when they're trekking through the snow and you can see the snow dropping off the trees it's absolutely and gorgeous you, you always hear the the kind of trudge as well of the of 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 the snow like they 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 you're not you're not hearing it kind of from Arseniev's um uh, uh perspective you're hearing kind of um uh, nature kind of close up i guess um, and I will say, actually, like a sequence I don't think we've really talked about, but a sequence which I adore is the sequence where they get trapped on the frozen lake and it just looks gorgeous. You have these wonderful wide shots of like the snow covered lake, the reeds popping out, the like the low sun, the red sky. It's just it's it's some of the most stunning imagery I've seen in a film, like the bit where they're wandering across the snow and there's like it's exposed to the point where they look like they're silhouettes. It's just a gorgeous movie to look at. But Niall, Chris, anything with regards to the film, anything you want to talk about, anything we haven't discussed, or anything jumping out at you that you think merits discussion? Um, so, Chris? Um, honestly, no, not for me. I think I think um, everyone said things better than me, so uh, <laughs> nothing's come to mind. No, it was, it, was, it was... Yeah, like you say, those scenes you say, like on the lake and stuff, there's some of the probably something you you know they, they feel because they're so authentic they feel unique and feel like you know i haven't seen that very often before in a movie and and i think like you say even though kurosawa probably drove the film studio uh demented with the with the cost of it 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 i think it all pays off you know even though um it took a while to to earn its reputation 
I think it was absolutely worth it. I think, I think like you say, if, if they had imported leaves to, to, to fake it, 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 you know, it may not have been as effective. Um, so, I, yeah, I think trust in the master. <laughs> or if they brought in a manicured tiger. Like, <laughs> 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 eyelash extension. Shot, shot a tabby in intense uh, close-up. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Niall, what about yourself? Anything you want to say? Anything we haven't discussed already with Dursa Uzala kind of jumping out of um, I have nothing new to add, but just to jump back to something you just said, I'm I'm really glad they didn't get Mifune to play Dursu, because mm. I think if Dursu is hot, this movie doesn't work. What, are you saying Dursu <laughs> you know? isn't hot? Dursu isn't bae? Not, not Mifune level. Okay. <laughs> I've got a ranking. <laughs> In fairness, like, Mifune is kind of distractingly hot. Like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the reason we don't release this as a video podcast, isn't it? Because we want the audience to actually listen. <laughs> exactly. And I think bromances don't really work if if one of the the uh, characters is, like, overwhelmingly attractive. Because um, then they have to kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it's just a rule. <laughs> These are the rules. Uh, I mean, to be fair, like, I... This is like as a again. I I don't actually think there's that much kind of like homoeroticism to their relationship here. This is just two guys who love hanging out together. But it's a movie where two guys two guys yeah. run through a field to hug each other, and it's the most wholesome <laughs> thing imaginable. It's just so sweet. And the little bit at the end where Kurosawa recreates those are all like recreations of photographs from uh, Arsenev's original memoir, and you can actually go online. We'll include some of the show notes so you can compare them. But I do love that like the final shot is the two of them looking at each other. And then cut to a close-up of that shot of the two of them just like <laughs> looking into each other's eyes and getting lost together. It is so sweet. I am. I love those guys so much. Yeah. I just want them to be happy. And I, I, th- I think Arseniev's kind of like um, even like like the way he kind of greets and says goodbye to Lee Sun Ping, where it's kind of like there, there's like a bow, and then he kind of puts his arm on his shoulder and shakes his hand, and there's a real kind of a warmth to the performance and the character so it 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 it, it, it is very kind of um uh, as you say wholesome uh, we should mention by the way that kurosawa again directed this despite not speaking a word of russian with a cast that did not speak a word of japanese um in the words of kurosawa cinema is an international language um the script was written uh by yuri nagabin who is a famous uh russian novelist and short story writer as well um who passed away in 1994 and this gets a kind of something that I think is interesting about this movie, but everybody else will probably find really boring, which is <laughs> the argument that it kind of represents a transitional point in terms of uh, international or foreign film. Because obviously, like we've covered on this podcast, um, we mentioned Kurosawa's films of the 50s and 60s, which are all Japanese movies. They're all produced in Japan with a Japanese film industry, with Toho Studios and places like that. We've covered on this podcast attempts in the 1950s um, through films like, say, Wages of Fear, for example, Rafifi, for French uh, companies and Spanish companies to try and create something that competes with Hollywood around the same time. You arguably have then in the 60s the emergence of a British kind of film scene as well. And one of the arguments is that towards the end of the middle and the end of the 70s, um, you start seeing a lot of that dying off. You start seeing 
that like obviously Bergman in Sweden, for example, he's he's sent into exile. We mentioned Kurosawa becomes dependent on like international co-productions. This is made in Russia, for example. But like when he's making Dreams, he requires Spielberg's money, George Lucas's special effects company, Industrial Lights of Magic. And he also requires a cameo from Martin Scorsese and Warner Brothers to help finance it in the United States to help get it made. Um, like so you know international cinema isn't really that big a deal anymore you have things like for example you know you go to to england and sure you have people like say nicholas rogue making movies during the 70s and and lindsey anderson but it's not really seen as a powerhouse anymore and you have this like you know milos foreman moving to america making american movies like one flew over the cuckoo's nest you have like uh, bertolucci uh, making 1900, which, you know, is, again, a huge international cast as well. Uh, you have a Resnais making, you know, a film written by an English playwright, David Mercier, and, like, starring uh, John Gilgood, Dirk Bogart, and Ellen Burstein. You have this idea that increasingly it is just American New Hollywood film and everything else, and that everything else is kind of increasingly entangled in it. And the idea that this is kind of a point at which, you know, as the studio system becomes what it's going to become, as blockbusters emerge and become the dominant cultural form, that international and foreign films become this much more amorphous uh, kind of thing. And like, again, I, I kind of love that, you know, this movie was released in 1976. It won the Oscar in 1977. It didn't open in American cinemas until 1978, where it got crushed by Star Wars uh, at the box office. Um, and you have like Roger Corman. And I, I love this. I think we mentioned Corman before. I think we mentioned him in terms of Alton Sonata, Sonata, which would be around the same time, a Bergman movie from the mid 70s as well, where like Corman is the guy who is trying to bring these movies into America and to get them to open and to get them to kind of share and kind of spread. And I find that kind of just interesting that Durzu Uzala is a movie from the defining Japanese filmmaker of the 50s and 60s that has to be made in Soviet Russia with the Soviet Russian film company um, and still has to like struggle to break into the American market and as we point out in this podcast is largely forgotten again we mentioned Autumn Sonata also you know as Bergman movies go largely forgotten only entered the 250 last year as well I find it interesting that yeah, this is a this is arguably a kind of a turning point for what we consider foreign films. I just I just find that kind of interesting uh, in terms of like putting this or putting it in its historical context. I don't know is that fair or unfair? Am I talking nonsense? Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's um, it perhaps marks some sort of a point. Thankfully, we've gotten back to um, quality international movies like um, Smolensk for example uh, Ratchasan yeah Smolensk um, uh, 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 what's it called Tiger Warrior <laughs> and Tiger Warrior 2 Wolf Warrior Wolf Warrior <laughs> starring what's is it what, what's the Frank Grillo as Big Daddy Frank Grillo big, his character's name is literally Big Daddy he's the American good capitalist old, villain never good Frank yeah. Grillo don't forget China um, Salesman starring Steven Seagal and Mike Tyson yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. I'll look that when, one up. Like, where are you the ever top two fifty? Is that? Um, I think it's currently around <laughs> seventy four. Maybe it's climbed it's like, since. 
when people think like, oh, I, I should watch something a bit cultured. I watch like a foreign language movie. <laughs> like they forget that, like the ones that reach us are the good ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that know? filter is in effect. <laughs> there, yeah, there is so much um, uh, crap as well. Yeah. Um, no, no, maybe that's fair. Yeah, the, the, that the, the, the kind of film industrial complex um, has, has taken over Rewatch. It's not well, fair because we have no filter in what we send to foreign countries. <laughs> no, like our well, Hollywood films—they get all of it, all the worst yeah. stuff. <laughs> we only get the really good stuff. It's a cruel world. Taffin is still I, circulating in Hollywood offices at the moment. Uh, um, remake rights, baby. Well, remakes wish, rights. Ryan Gosling shouting, "Maybe you shouldn't be living here." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Irish movies kind of at least they're fortunate in that they don't have to make money and like <laughs> nobody expects them to um, that that like they're 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 created in order to like avail of some sort of tax break. Um, and, um, it's like the producers or something yeah um, but um yeah, should should I talk about the nonsense Let, that, I, that I do every week? Let's go through the nonsense. I, I guess I've already spoken to about inappropriate smoking. There's the food waste, which is like um, one of the soldiers is throwing meat on fire rather than like giving it to the nature. There, 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 there is there is the moment when nobody wants the fish. <laughs> so pretty. I mean, and Andrew they, was so upset he went and made himself a taco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like put a little bit of um, put a bit of cremolina on that. Like wrap it in a lettuce. Um, yeah, and you have something good the next day. Um, and and I guess the the obligatory Robocop reference is in the original script when um, when he shoots the bottle. Um, Arsenio says, "Nice shooting, son. What's your name?" <laughs> and, uh, and he says and then the movie just stops and the title card just crabs yeah. down Durzu Uzala <laughs> yeah yeah which, which dun, 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 dun. Uh, but it did actually the first half of the movie felt like a movie which I which I liked Yes, it felt like its own thing, which is yeah. nice. And we should mention, by the way, I think we kind of alluded to it, but it's worth pointing out, I find something deeply tragic in the idea that Dursu is kind of haunted by the fact that he's losing his eyesight mm. and he won't be able to like survive in the wilderness um, without that. And then he has to go and live in somebody else's house as a result of it. And the argument, and again, I'm not entirely sure. Can't shoot, can't camp. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, Again, I'm not entirely sure of the timeline on this, and I will maybe defer to our Kurosawa experts. So feel free to call me on this if I'm wrong. Um, but it has been suggested that um, Kurosawa may have already realized that he was going blind at this point in his life. Yeah, it's for a idea. man who makes for a man who makes movies um, is is a kind of a big change. And then obviously, not only the fact that Durzu has to go and live in a nice Russian man's house, the fact that he has to go and kind of you know, make these movies abroad as well. I find something kind of deeply sad and kind of moving and affecting in that, perhaps. I don't know. Anyway, but Niall, Chris, anything you want to say? Anything you want to add? Anything we haven't discussed or anything jumping out at you? Is, uh, is... Sorry, now, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go ahead. <laughs> no, just uh, opening the question that probably has no answer, but is, is Dezu Kurosawa? Like, is he crafting him, like, is it semi-autobiographical or... I was going to bring up earlier, but I kind of forgot it. Um, what I was interested about in Kurosawa, yeah, choosing to do this story about kind of the last remnant of this culture is 
reading his um his autobiography is his family he descends from like a samurai family yeah and so the family always had the armor day so i was always wondering was that something in his mind about this like what was it like being like the last of the samurai and maybe that's a trite reference just because you know obviously he made all the famous samurai films but i i do think that there is something in it to what you're both saying about how he sees this figure especially as he you know at this age when he'd almost died at his own hand a few years before i think there's kind of a realization maybe or maybe this is quite meta of him knowing he's kind of the last of a certain type of filmmaker mm. trying to pass yeah. on a certain lessons because no one really obviously there's lots of people inspired by him but there's never been i don't think another kurosawa in mm. how someone can make kind of what well, are kind of broad action and entertainment pieces with incredibly deep themes that balance the entertainment and the the depth so well or maybe i'm talking yeah. out my bum there but no i i i, I think there's probably something to what 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 both of you are saying in, in this kind of like lamentation of age and that it kind of feeds through to ran I suppose we we kind we see older characters in like his earlier movies, but they're um, as they're well. not essential. I think no, they're not no, they, even even though they're they're kind of like often second build, um, they're 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 not as important as they are here, like thematically, and and that kind of did it in there 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 is. That thing of like getting old, that like even the likes of Darren and I, who are in like in our, we're late twenties, <laughs> late twenties, <laughs> but we 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 kind of like have our moments when when we're like, um, do you remember? Do you remember the nineties? <laughs> Weren't they great? It's like kids today they don't understand, and um, yeah. And you both where, remember where join us for our train spotting podcast in a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> and you, and you whole... both remember when you found out you couldn't shoot rifles around Dublin? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like I was trying to sell water, bottled water. It's like was... get water in a bottle. You can get this from a tap. I was I given the... freedom oh my of God. the city. I, I'm allowed to graze Zala my sheep is, here. He's a boomer. Um, <laughs> um, but no, no but, the, but that's the kind of the, the, the natural thing. As time passes and as we get older, like what 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 are we losing and what is the world losing? And the sense of kind of like, am I being forgotten? Am I the last? of Is, is this the last of me, I guess? Um, uh, which, which, which gets more and more pressing as you grow older and older. So no, I I, I think that's fairly astute from, um, yeah, from, from Chris. From, that's why Chris is our that. expert. Yeah. Okay, good night. <laughs> <laughs> um, and before we go, just one last thing because I'm not qualified to talk about it, um, and I'm not going to. Uh, but just to point it to listeners if they want to check it out in the show notes, there's an interesting argument advanced by uh, Olga V. Soloviev uh, in the Journal of Japanese and Korean Cinema, where she argues that like one of the reasons why Kurosawa was drawn to uh, this particular story uh, and one of the reasons why he was not allowed to make it under the imperial Japanese uh, system when he wanted to in the 1930s is the argument that you can see this as a metaphor for the kind of imperialist expansion and erasure of culture that happened under Imperial Japan during the 30s and 40s. And so you have this idea of Kurosawa, who throughout his life in interviews always said he made films for a Japanese audience, including this one, um, arguably maybe dealing through metaphor, much like 
in his samurai films. All of his samurai films are about contemporary Japan, as as he's talked about, as we've talked about. You could perhaps see something similar there in this idea of the the passing or the erasure of these people and the erasure of the fact that these people ever really exist in the space. But I'm not qualified to talk about this, so I'm not going to. Uh, I will just point you to the show notes where you can read that article. All right. So um, at the end of the podcast, we normally do is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something they are enjoying at the moment. It could be relating the movie, it could be unrelating the movie. And to give Chris and Niall a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Yes, um, I'll I'll recommend a few things. I want to recommend so many things because this movie kind of like it, it feels like it brings a lot to to kind of to the surface in my mind. But I'll I'll, I'll only recommend a few, and I'll try and be quick. Um, my kind of thoughts about Russia, in part or or in a large part, come from re- reading a book recently. And apologies if this book has given me kind of like a. A, a, a jaded view of 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 Russia. It's um Oliver Bullo's um the last man in Russia, which is about a kind of alcoholism essentially in in and 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 uh, Christianity and the 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 kind of decline of one and um are are not just Christianity but but of 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 kind of like um. It's a it it follows the life of of a priest, whose whose lifetime is kind of tells the 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 story sort of from the revolution to the um, collapse of 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 the Soviet Union, um, but it, it's 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 about kind of like um, how um, a kind of loss of hope and that it didn't really stop either, like in at, on in on on the fall of the Soviet Union. That um, that it's kind of this sense of hopelessness has kind of continued, and that people kind of turn to the bottle, um, and um, people don't want to really bring children into the the the, the world anymore, which is a kind of a, like an indictment of their um, society. Um, and more, uh, I'll I'll try and give more more hopeful recommendations aside from that. <laughs> Be- <laughs> that Be- was your first draft script yeah. of Dura Suicide, Be- so we're going. Beethoven. Uh, by, by the way, like uh, it, it's a, it, it it is a good book. It isn't a complete uh, 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 bummer. Oliver Oliver Buller is 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 quite kind of wishy. He's um, he's he's quite good at telling a story. In, in, uh, That's but, the last uh, man on earth, is it? The last man on Russia. In Russia, sorry. It's kind of almost saying I I feel like the the it's uh, almost kind of saying the last man in Russia ellipsis please turn off the lights um, <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, I'll also recommend some, something I thought of when 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 listening to this movie was Beethoven 6 because of the kind of pastoral and what you were talking about as a, a, um a person getting older and how um uh, Kurosawa losing his sight is kind of like Beethoven lose, losing um, his hearing. Um, that it, it, it's, it's a sense that's so kind of integral to, to the way they, they get on in the world. And the third thing I'll recommend, which is a, a, a real... Um, uh, it's, it's very uplifting, but it, it's difficult in the sense that like, if, if, if you're dealing with anything, it's, it's, it's kind of like a very good therapy session is um a beautiful day in the neighborhood um 
which we, we, we spoke about lately, but I don't think it was on the podcast. So, um, <laughs> um this, the Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Um. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So the, the, Dar- Darren had given me the documentary, which was, won't you be my neighbor? Um, a few years ago, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, and they also came out with, um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood around the same time. I think it was like 2018 or something like that. Yeah. It was a year or two later. I think, yeah. yeah. Um, which, which, which I just thought was beautiful and, um, a very kind of, um, uh, creative, uh, filmmaking, um, like visually, um, and the way the story was told, I, I, I thought was, was, was very, um, uh, novel. It's supposedly, it, it, it's more, it's, it's based on a true story. Uh, like some names are changed and all that sort of crack, you know. But um, no, it's beautiful. It, you'll you'll laugh, you'll cry. It's on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how all reviews end now. You'll laugh, you'll cry. It's on Netflix. <laughs> and Niall, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment, related or unrelated to the movie in question? Uh, yeah. So something I'd recommend for reading is if you do like Kurosawa, and I think if you've watched all this, uh, listened to this the whole way through, I think you you probably might have some, you know understanding of him now is to read his quasi autobiography titled something like an autobiography and it's a really short and really nice read and you really get a great insight into his kind of his life and how it informed kind of everything he made i think um it only comes up to like kind of before oh it it, it ends before he got into this kind of period of his filmmaking but um I think a lot of the stuff that makes him interesting is in that book, so I'd really recommend that. And um, interestingly, this is my uh, my movie recommendation. I watched it last night just on a whim, and it's kind of like an inverse Dersi Uzala, is I watched Sunset Boulevard again, which is oh. kind of about someone getting to a certain age who's the last of a certain culture, a movie star, <laughs> who gets all the worst lessons from it and becomes uh-huh. a very like toxic but also very, um, you know kind of sympathetic figure to a point it's this person whose environment crafted them in the worst possible way and, has you know, nothing to offer kind of nothing <laughs> to offer it's a it's a very sad and beautiful and also quite funny movie because it's a great billy wilder of course uh, scripted and directed it so yeah that might be a, a tenuous connection but even if my connection sucks the movie's still great so like, <laughs> ignore me watch it listen to me watch it the movie wins either way <laughs> I think Darren and I would second that recommendation. Yes. Yeah. Third, yeah. We're, I'm wilder about that do you, one. Do you guys have an episode on that one? We do. We do. We do. Um, Charlene Lydon and Rena McGregor. Um, oh, excellent. Then I recommend that too, right after you watch a movie. Um, all right, then. And Chris, what would you recommend for listeners? What are you enjoying? Um, I'm just trying, trying to grab and brace there. What could I, uh, what could I would have any sort of vague link to the movie we spoke about. And... Oh, it doesn't have to. No, no, no. Anything, like, it, no we we seen... should point out, by the way, Chris is an adult with actual responsibilities. <laughs> on top of being a Curacao <laughs> expert. No, it's, uh, no, it's uh, parenting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, no, it's, it's an interesting challenge. And what came to mind first was, no, I mean, think of a film. Well, parenting is a challenge as well. Anyway. But anyway, um, that's why I wouldn't recommend a book because um, I don't remember what books are. Anyway, um, <laughs> the one, one film that came to mind about uh, a very, very beautiful central relationship where one character is kind of losing a part of themselves as the movie goes on 
um was supernova it's probably about six months nine months old now at the stage but um this is stanley tushi and, and colin, colin Firth. yeah yeah it was a real nice low-key low-budget film um um i think i think way back probably had early oscar ambitions but you know got got torpedoed by covid um but uh i found that really 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 good film television um if you have a disney plus subscription i'd recommend dope sick very good um michael keaton yeah six or eight part um limited series about the uh american opioid crisis and and uh, a particular pharmaceutical company that may have um born the whole thing um uh it was it was excellent in terms of the um kind of the historical context um and also the performances in it as well it was uh uh it was great yeah yeah it's a very kind of in an affecting way very important series as well i think at the moment because uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of kind of exposure given at the at the moment to sackler and the whole kind of that's right yeah pharma story um so it's 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 a very di- di- i guess digestible way of, <laughs> of kind of yeah absolutely yeah that's good Uh, In terms of of recommendations from myself, going to be very, very boring here and just recommend some movies because movies are good and they're (laughs) back and it is uh, early in the year. So on Apple TV Plus at the moment, Joel Cohen's solo directorial debut, uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, is available to stream starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Uh, Obviously related to this because Kurosawa directed Throne of Blood, his own breathtaking adaptation of Macbeth. Uh, This is wonderful. I think it's visually stunning. It's, It's got this kind of German expressionist black and white kind of quality to it, which I absolutely loved. It's a movie that kind of really great to kind of immerse yourself in and kind of get lost in. And it's just like eye candy, very much like this, although not like this in a very literal sense, if that makes sense. Uh, and then the other thing I'd recommend is Licorice Pizza is in cinemas at the moment. It will probably uh, be coming to DVD soon. Um, the movie, not the dish. Uh, but yes, the uh, Licorice Pizza is an incredibly uh, charming coming of age story with a wonderful cast. Alana Haim is a revelation. Uh, she is really? simply kind of stunning in it. She can't um, be that. Mm-hmm. She she's not allowed to be talented like in various <laughs> in that many areas. Yeah. yeah. What do you What are you gonna like like What do you need all those hyphens? Yeah. Lady Gaga. And I feel he, like I went from, I went from recommending uh, one movie with three weird sisters in it to another movie with <laughs> very good. The, 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 you 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 mentioned there that it was Licorice Pizza the movie. Uh, not, are you about to recommend not, the dish? Not the food. <laughs> the, the, when you said Apple, are you talking about the platform or the not the food? Yes, fridge? I am talking about the platform. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yes, thank you for the clarification. I'm recommending the TV show, not opioids. We need to be clear on this. Yeah, just. Um, all right, and on that note, if listeners are looking for a bit more Chris, a bit more Nile in their lives, maybe looking for advice like that, Chris, where can we find you? Watch up to what you're doing. Uh, very little, but I'm on Twitter. Um, look me up, um, Chris Library Six. Um, and don't forget to check out the book tour. Oh, of course, the book tour. Yes, uh, <laughs> coming to a bookstore not near you soon. Um, but yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll try I'll I'll try and uh, I'll try and get back on letterbox. That's that's my twenty twenty two New Year's resolution. Nice. Um, and Niall, watch out where you doing? What are you doing? So yeah, you can find me spending way too much time on Twitter and Letterboxd, both under the username Niall Derglin. Uh, and I'm also back doing reviews and other content for Irish gaming site Game Air. 
And there was one more. Oh, yes. My oh, own podcast. The Mandalorians, right? The Mandalorians. Yeah. The Mandalorians. Yes. We're currently back. <laughs> We're doing the Book of Boba Fett because we just can't escape helmeted men regurgitating <laughs> props from the 70s. <laughs> but I sound I'm... very cynical, but I, you know, I'm a sucker for this stuff, I'm afraid. So, I'm yeah, going to be it, tuning It's a much that. fetid addition to the Star Wars uh, universe. Yeah, uh, it's, it's my fetish, all right. But, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, very but, good. But it's, no, it's a very low-key, kind of chilled-out discussion, because as you can imagine, a lot of Star Wars podcasts are anything but... <laughs> right. You mean Star Wars fans are intense? We certainly haven't experienced that's that. That's why we have podcast. none on mine. Well, yeah. that's the thing about though, like the Mandalorian and and actually, sorry, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't know. But I imagine <laughs> that things like the Mandalorian and Boba Fett don't really get people too hot under the collar because you just look at it and it's like, I oh, do you, do. You, so, sorry, spoilers for Boba Fett, but it's like, do you do you like Jabba the Hutt? Well, there's there's two. Now there's, there's two of them. Yes. You're twins. Do you like Chewbacca? Well, this guy's like even more badass than Chewbacca. He's like furs all. He's got a die job. Yeah. His name's yeah, Chewbacca. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's got one of those <laughs> like like shields with the spikes, like um like those uh, tag team wrestlers from <laughs> from the nineties. You remember the nineties? Sorry. Um, well, if you want yeah. to hear me have a go at that Wookiee, check out the Mandalorians. <laughs> Sorry. Take a look at that Wookiee. I literally do. You <laughs> shouldn't be stealing your... <laughs> if you want to be on it, Andrew, just I, ask. I definitely want to check that out. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm sure that Andrew will go further on that podcast. Because it's... Uh, yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> all right. You can follow the podcast at the 250. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are sold or not sold. Five uh, stars. We- Yes, please or feel free to leave if it. that's an option. Like, yeah, the highest whatever the highest rating is, do check before a rating. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to do it afterwards, unfortunately. Yeah, you may yeah. need to send an email to support. Um, but yes, we'll be back next week for Valentine's Day, where we'll be discussing Frank Capra's 1934 It Happened One Night, a screwball romantic comedy. The wonderful Kira Maloney from The Sunday will be joining us for that discussion. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Niall. Thank, thank you, listeners. Guys. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Take care. Have a happy Valentine's Day, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Myself and Andrew do. are just going to stare at each other across a field and then run and embrace. <laughs> like, wholesome. Stare into each other's eyes and take black and white photos. Um, all right, cheers. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs>